Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That is, with your 2023 WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is extremely late Saturday night, just moments after the WWE Royal Rumble went off the air. But don't you fret, we are here to break down every single thing that happened on WWE's first premium live event of 2023, instant analysis style. We will be talking about the matches, the storylines, we'll be reading and reacting. And beyond all that, we will be providing grades, both for the matches and the show itself. Vintage Chris Benini will be along for the ride momentarily, but it would not be an addition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast if I did not begin this show quickly by reminding you that this podcast is all about So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage on this 399th episode of this show. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Over cast not only for news analysis and highlights episode drops all that good stuff but you get to vote in pre and post show polls around premium live events and pay-per-views and you get to join our live twitter spaces which we do before every pay-per-view and when major news happens when we do not do instant reaction podcasts those special shows but this royal rumble was jam-packed and we are not wasting any more time getting into the instant analysis as we do on our special instant analysis episodes. We kick it off by cracking open a cold one. And while the Silver King would normally be drinking a brewski, I'm just about a week removed from having COVID. So today I am cracking open an Arizona light Arnold Palmer iced tea lemonade, which if you can't have alcohol, is one of the best canned drinks that is out there. Chris, welcome to the show. What do you have tonight? I've got a bottle here, so I got a bottle opener there with me. I've just got an old uh, Angry Orchard hard cider. Been a while since we actually drank on one of these because we've always been working on Saturday nights. This is the first Saturday pay per view without college football going on we've had. So uh, back to yeah. it. Yeah, most of these Saturday shows we've been angry about for the first time. I mean, the Royal Rumble went way later than most WWE uh, pay per views and premium live events have recently. So this was one where I was like, you know what? Thank heavens. This is Saturday night, especially with the NFC and AFC championship games going down on Sunday. Chris, we have an absolute ton to talk about on this show. Of course, we're going to break down everything from the Royal Rumble. We're going to talk about a couple of things that happened actually in the Royal Rumble kickoff show and the notable moments on SmackDown that played into this entire show. Now, before we get into the instant analysis, a quick reminder of where we landed on our Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview when it comes to our pre-show expectation grades. The Silver King was at an A-. Chris, you were at an A, and doing the math here, from our pre-show poll on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, our Getting Overheads, you, the listeners, you gave this a 4.11 out of 5, so you guys were aligned with me, the Silver King, with an A- pre-show grade. So Chris, that sets the stage for what we are about to talk about. 
as we begin our 2023 WWE Royal Rumble Instant Analysis. Now, before we get to all the matches and everything that went down, two general topics I wanted to talk about. First, the cold open for the Royal Rumble. I just got to say it was probably one of WWE's worst in years. It was that country music artist Hardy narrating the entire thing. Nothing about it was particularly engaging. And then beyond that, Hardy had a performance in the popcorn spot that was truly horrendous. I just hope that WWE got paid out the ass by his label to feature that no talent on the show because it was painful. Now, I'm glad I got to take a bathroom break and not miss anything, but my ears were bleeding from that shit tonight. I'm going to say I looked up the song or listened to it because they played it throughout the, the, the show. I actually liked the song, but the performance the, was horrendous. The live, the live performance was horrible. That is that sounded like two completely different things, but it, it it's country rock is technically what it is. But I like when there's more of a rock feel to these shows, kind of attitude era-esque. I actually, I'm just going to say, I actually did like the song, but everything else about Hardy being involved in this was a mess. Holy shit, just absolutely awful. Now, WWE did make up for the Rumble intro being bad because as soon as they went to the arena, Pat McAfee entered to open the show in his return to WWE with his college football duties. Now in the past, he got a great pop. Both Michael Cole and Corey Graves were incredible selling the surprise. Cole over the moon excited. Graves absolutely pissed off that he had to share the air with another voice. It almost seemed like Cole was actually surprised. It's tough to say whether he was just selling it or if he was being real on the moment. And I got to say, top to bottom, by the time the show ended, it ended up being one of the single best nights of commentary, perhaps in WWE history. I'm not saying it was the best, but these guys were on absolute fire from start to finish on that show. Great lines, quotable lines, memorable moments, snide comments. I thought all three of them, Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and Pat McAfee, were on point. That's interesting because I actually thought they were too much. I, I normally think they're great, and I think Cole and McAfee will be great when it's just the two of them. I, commentary was overbearing at times. I thought it was maybe not one of their best performances. So we very much disagree on that, which is interesting. Very interesting. I agree. Now, let us get to the Royal Rumble instant analysis. We are going to break down all five matches on the card along with pertinent storylines from SmackDown and the kickoff show. We're going to break down what happened. We're going to hit you up with uh, some analysis coming out at the end, grades for the matches, and then at the very end, we will grade the entire Royal Rumble. Just wanted to run that down for any first-time listeners. I say that because our ultimate preview for the Royal Rumble was our second most listened to ultimate preview in this show's history, only behind WrestleMania 38 last year. So clearly, coming into this Royal Rumble, there was an absolute ton of interest. You could see it on social media. You could you could feel it just while watching the show and seeing the way people reacted to things that were happening, even some things that perhaps were not the most exciting. Fans were fully engaged with the show, which was great, but that also leads me to believe we may have some first-time listeners on the podcast. I wanted you all to know what to expect as we progress in this show. So Chris, let's get to the main event, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Kevin Owens. First, we start with SmackDown. The Usos and Solo Sokoa pulled up to the arena. 
Sami Zayn showed up in the loading dock wearing a black hoodie. He wanted to catch Jay Uso. He yelled at him, Jay did, saying the tribal chief told Sammy he wasn't supposed to be there. Sammy's like, yo, I'm only here to say thank you for having my back. KO backstage said he was risking a fight against Solo so he could take the Bloodline member out of the Rumble after they all interfered in the same event two years in a row, or two years ago, I should say. Uh, the dude has the best memory of any superstar in WWE history. The Usos tried attacking, so Adam Pierce kicked them out of the building. And as Jay got into the car, he called Sammy saying, he needed a favor. So the main event of SmackDown was Owens against Sokoa. Solo came out. Solo. Uh, KO hit a cannonball on a Swanton bomb, only for Zayn to surprisingly run in against Reigns' orders to save Sokoa on the count. KO dodged a solo super kick that accidentally tagged Sammy. Owens threw Sokoa into the steel steps, but got reversed into the post. Solo went to splash KO through the announce table again, but Owens caught him running for a pop-up powerbomb into the announce table, which did not break. KO threatened Sammy with a chair, but he smacked Solo with it, sending him over the barricade before throwing it at Sammy's feet. Owens then screamed into the camera that he'd bring everything he's got to Reigns at the Rumble. This was basically a no contest, the match, because the referee just disappeared and the bell never rang. The match was a banger. The storytelling was Sammy disobeying Roman first on his own, which could be waved off because he technically didn't enter the arena, but then a second time because Jay asked him to. That was the key moment. It left a great cliffhanger for Sammy at the Rumble, and it also gave KO a little extra oomph going into the show. Yeah, definitely a great go-home segment to, to further emphasize that the focus of the show was Sammy and Kevin Owens. So on the kickoff show at the Royal Rumble, KO entered the arena. He was wearing the Sammy Zayn forever shirt from that jackass feud. Reigns had the entire bloodline silent in his locker room. He admonished both Sammy and Jay, for directly disobeying his orders. Jay took responsibility, said he couldn't reach Roman since he was in New York, so he had to ensure someone had Solo's back, and he made a call for Sammy to help him. Reigns kind of seemed okay with that explanation, which calmed everyone down and relieved Zane. He then told the Usos to hang in the back for the main event because he wanted Sammy on his hip the entire night. It ended with Reigns saying, quote, tonight's Sammy's night. I thought this was a fantastic way to get into the show. I had to watch it on replay because we were doing the live show on Twitter Spaces. But what a great segue into the Rumble from a storyline standpoint. It also kept the Usos and Solo away from the ring, which put the onus on Sammy to either help Roman or not help Roman. There'd be no one else there to save him or do it on his behalf. I thought that was an extremely smart way to kind of set the stage for the main event. Yep. And it also kept Sami Zayn out of the Royal Rumble, but which again is kind of wild how Sami Kevin o, Roman Reigns is almost like the third wheel in this storyline because it's 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 been just told really well. It's consistent how Roman gets mad, then he calms down. He's done that before, and there was a great tea. They don't do much on the kickoff show sometimes, but this one was like, hey, the Sami thing. We're doing something at the end of the show, so stay tuned. It was, it was a very good uh, way to, to tease that out. It was one of those rare occasions where it felt like worthwhile that you were watching the kickoff show. Like it, they yeah. gave you something that directly impacted the show itself and the main event and the biggest angle in the company right now, which of course was uh, notably important. So Chris, let's get to now the main event match at the Royal Rumble. I know we just went through a lot. I apologize, but it all was pertinent to what happened here. Uh, the video package ahead of this match, Reigns-Owens, was legitimately top tier. It was a great recap of the entire storyline for any first-time viewers and 
I think the assumption was there may have been a lot of first-time viewers, given the way that this show has been promoted. Reigns entered flanked by only Zayn and Heyman. He told Sammy at the top of the ramp not to forget that KO hangs on to him and drags him down. Fans chanted Sammy Uso at the bell. This was strong style at first, with Owens quickly hitting a cannonball inside, running senton outside and frog splashes both off the apron and inside. Reigns caught Owens for a Liger bomb. KO countered a Superman punch into a German suplex. Reigns immediately came back with a Superman punch. KO then sidestepped a spear, throwing Reigns into the post. He followed with a Swanton bomb for a false finish. KO went for a double jump moonsault. Unfortunately, he slipped and fell with his back slamming into Reigns, which was really scary. Like someone really could have gotten hurt. Luckily, Owens was okay. He fixed it with an immediate senton and a moonsault off the ropes that Roman avoided. Reigns then caught him with a spear for a false finish. Owens blocked a second spear. Reigns escaped a stunner. He pushed KO into the referee who got knocked out. And we knew that moment was coming in the match. Owens then caught Roman with a pop-up powerbomb. There was no one there to count the fall. So Reigns low-blowed Owens and he demanded a chair from Zayn. Sammy said Roman told him to do nothing. So Reigns screamed at him again to get the chair. Zayn hesitated, but eventually he threw Reigns the chair. Because he delayed though, Owens was able to get back up and he caught Roman with a stunner as the referee slid back in for a 2.99 false finish. Sammy started like hyperventilating. Heyman was staring him down, enraged. KO then tried to pop a powerbomb, but Roman countered midair with the Superman punch, following with a spear for another 2.99 false finish going the other way. Owens crawled to Zayn's feet. Sammy yelled for him to just stay down, give up, stop. But when he stood up, Reigns speared KO through the barricade. He threw him back into the ring. Owens immediately rolled outside. So Reigns flung him backwards by his head into the stairs on the steel steps twice. Michael Cole starts yelling for the referee to call the match, saying it's disgusting. This has to end. Zayn looked appalled and then distraught as Roman toyed with Kevin, who had one last gasp. I think it was a slap to the face for eating a final spear with Roman retaining the title in 20 minutes. Before anything else, this match on its own was exemplary. The first 10 minutes, they were notably slow, but between the action and the storytelling down the stretch, it was top tier. Incredible false finishes, awesome facial expressions and exchanges. Reigns was absolutely ruthless with those steel step whips. He had great heel psychology the entire match. I can't remember the last time someone was that twisted and vicious as a main eventer. I'm not talking about like the fiend vicious. I mean, legitimately going to injure someone purposely to make a point in a main event. Maybe Randy Orton at his peak when he was a top tier heel. This wasn't necessarily the best in-ring wrestling that we've seen this year or recently. And KO's botch was unfortunate, but it was extremely solid bell to bell. And the in-match storytelling and psychology really took this over the top for me, Chris. I went 4.5 stars and an A for the match itself. Yeah, it's an A match. And everything that played out, the way this match played out psychologically fit the story. Roman Reigns has been so furious that Kevin Owens is bothering him. He keeps saying he just wants Kevin Owens to go away, do whatever it takes. And Kevin Mm -hmm. Owens said, I'm going to take the title from you or I'm going to die trying. 
And that's exactly how these things ended up playing out, plus the post-match stuff. So it's just like... They totally, the, you're right. They the, totally paid off the promises going in. Yep. Yes. All the promises that Kevin Owens made, all the frustrations that Roman had had for a while. It wasn't just like, oh, we do another match. No, Roman wants Kevin Owens to go away. Like, like just get out of here. And this is the way to do it. That's why he was so ruthless. So just really, really good storytelling in the match. You're right on there. So let's get to the post-match now. The bloodline entered the ring after the bell. Jay looked to Roman for permission to put the lay around Sammy's neck, basically making him a made man. He seemed to approve, Roman did. But then he stopped Jay, very similar to how Jay stopped Solo from uh, you know, delivering the Samoan spike on Raw Monday night, and also very similar to the way that, of course, Sami Zayn stopped the referee from counting one, two, three in Reigns Owens during war games. But he kind of more put his head on hand on his shoulder rather than like grabbed his arm. But point is, it was very similar. Um, so he stopped Jay. Then he puts his arm around Sammy and brings him kind of into the corner and made him watch as the Usos stomped the shit out of Owens and hit him with a 1D. They propped Owens in the corner with a chair around his neck for a hip attack from Solo Sokoa. Then Reigns asked Heyman for handcuffs, which was actually kind of funny the way Paul uh, pulled them out. They handcuffed Owens to the top rope. He ate 12 super kicks, six from each Uso, as fans started chanting for Sammy. Reigns told Owens that Zayn was family and he disrespected him, so it was time to get ended. But as Roman was about to swing a chair at Kevin's head, Sammy stepped in the way. He said everyone respected Reigns. But continuing to beat Owens was just beneath him. So Roman, he like stood to the side and took a deep breath and he handed Sammy the chair saying, I shouldn't do it. You should do it. Heyman screamed at Sammy. He's like, this is your moment. Reigns said, they've gone this far. There's no going back. Owens has dragged him down his entire life. Reigns and the bloodline love him. When you're in the ring with the bloodline, you own the ring. When you're in the ring with Kevin Owens, you're doing the jackass shit, referring back to mm -hmm. WrestleMania. Reigns stood between them for a second, and fans thought Sammy was going to hit Roman, but he hesitated and started crying, Sammy did. So Roman started pushing him in the face. Then he put his forehead to, to Sammy's forehead, started screaming at him, saying it's not a game. So Sammy eventually took a breath. Roman repositioned himself. And Zayn swung the chair, drilling Roman in the back and throwing the chair on the canvas. Jay screamed at him in the pain of like hurt and betrayal. Jimmy immediately super kicked him in the head. Roman on the canvas put his head in his hands. He was upset. Jimmy beat on Sammy more and more. Solo came in, hit him with the Samoan spike. And Jay just stood in the corner with his head down watching them beat Sammy relentlessly, and fans started chanting for Jay. Roman screamed that they're his family, and Jay slid out of the ring, putting his own head in his hands, crying a little, and slowly walking back on his own, leaving the rest of the bloodline in the ring. Reigns wore Zayn out with eight chair shots to the back and a half dozen forearms to the head. He ripped off the honorary U-shirt, Fans started loudly chanting, fuck you, Roman, as he dropped one flower at a time onto Zayn's corpse, and it ended with Sammy and KO motionless in the ring and Reigns looking back on the ring, having possibly lost 
two of five bloodline members. The creative and storytelling, both in this match and in the post-match, holy shit. This has now reached greatest of all time status for me from a storyline standpoint. Mega Powers Explode is legendary. It doesn't hold a candle to the intricacy, the depth, the detail, and really the execution of the bloodline implodes. And that's what I'm calling this. I'm trademarking that label, by the way. But seriously, having Sammy ultimately give in with the chair, only for that to still not be enough for Roman in the match. Holy shit. Having Jay almost make Sammy a made man with the lay, only for Roman to stop it to everyone's surprise. Holy shit. Having Sammy still standing there, allowing the bloodline to tear KO apart limb from limb, holding on to his desire by the final threads to stay in the bloodline until the last possible moment when Roman disrespected him and gotten his face. Holy shit. The sound that the crowd emitted when Sammy swung that chair into Roman's back. Holy shit. The fact that it was a perfect parallel to Seth Rollins turning on Reigns and the PTSD that that gave him, that he sold on the canvas. Holy fucking shit. Jay's reaction to it. Holy shit. The sell from Sammy on Jimmy's super kick. Holy shit. And then Jay standing catatonic in the corner, not only deciding not to join the beatdown, but actually go so far as to walk away from his abuser. Holy fucking shit. We talked on the Ultimate Preview about WWE needing to land the plane on this storyline and how difficult that would be given all the moving parts of the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, the tag team titles, Cody Rhodes, Sammy's relationship with Jay, swinging all the way back finally to Jay's relationship with Roman. Well, guess what, Chris? Plane landed. Holy shit. Is it too late to submit this to the Emmys or or, or something? I mean, like, this is cinema, man. Like, this is storytelling at the highest level. from from the camera shots showing Sammy on one turnbuckle, Kevin Owens on the other turnbuckle, Roman Reigns in between them to the shot, the camera shots down looking at Roman up at Sammy after he gets hit to Sammy's acting throughout the entire thing, even during the beatdown, even when he stepped in to save Kevin Owens, he wasn't 100% sure of himself. He did it. And then he was kind of regretting it, but he had to go through with it. But he had to do it anyway. He gets the chair. He thinks about Roman. Then he then he doesn't. Then, then he goes back and then he hits Roman and then he throws a chair down. And he's like, I, that's it. I had to do it. And I know it's about to happen to me. This, this it's so this so easily could have been. Sammy Zayn hits Roman with a chair, roll, sneaks out of the ring and runs away. And that's it. Sammy turned on Roman and that's the story. It didn't stop there. It could have stopped. It's Sammy just gets beat down and we go from there. It, they throw the Jay walking out on top of this, the story, every step of the way, they give you like two or three things at once that is just like any one of these things is a massive storyline and they throw them all together and it just hits, man. This is, this was unbelievable. This was a finish. This was a pay-per-view finish, a post-match attack 
that we will never forget. This is one of the most iconic moments of this era mm-hmm. on top of what is maybe now the greatest storyline in pro wrestling history. A 10-month chapter inside a story that is more than two years long. Just, I we cannot say enough good things about everything that this came down to. Just, they nailed it, man. They, they nailed it, and everybody got the feels seeing that. And you're left with so many different emotions, the kinds of emotions that you almost never have at the end of a wrestling show. Yeah, not for wrestling. You know, these are the types of things you feel when you watch an Oscar winning movie. They are. I'm not saying that this is the same as that, but it creates those emotions, you know, within you. And I was trying to contextualize this, Chris, and... I found it difficult because I was like, well, is it Godfather? Is it this? Is it that? This was WWE's equivalent to the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. It was the apex, the moment that will be remembered beyond all the other extremely memorable moments. Like you have Ned Stark, you know, getting decapitated and you're like, holy shit, that's what this show is going to be. But then the Red Wedding happens and you're like, oh my God. You know, I can't believe that that wasn't as great as this was. This is something that just throws you for an absolute loop. The chair shot by Sammy was one of the biggest pops I can ever remember hearing on television, watching professional wrestling. I can only Mm -hmm. really compare it to Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title over Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania and Mankind winning the WWF championship. It was so loud, the microphones couldn't even pick it up entirely. I want badly to see some real arena audio. I want one of those situations where you get the multiple camera angles and you hear the pop in 18 different ways, because that was the moment. And it was perfectly executed. You know, it's one thing to come up with the storyline. And it's another thing to book it in a way where it transpires and makes you feel all the emotions bit by bit that they want you to. It takes you on that ride. This accomplished every single one of those. It was like step by step by step. And you're just watching this and you're like, I cannot believe all of this is happening. And what was even greater on top of the entire thing is, Chris, how much time on this podcast, on other people's podcasts, on Uh, editorials and columns that have been written, you know, throughout the internet, wherever, on radio shows, how much has been talked about and written about, wow, I really wonder how the bloodline is going to turn on Sami Zayn. So much so that I'm sure the thought went through our heads and and we probably mentioned it a couple of times, but we didn't really book the damn territory on how does Sami Zayn turn on the bloodline? So they even ah. twisted that on its head. I'm not saying we didn't talk about it at all. I'm just saying it, it's not the main thing you talk about. The main thing was, what's Sammy going to do that's so wrong that Roman has enough with him? And this, WWE, the, yeah. over the last week, Chris, it gave us one thing after another to make us think the bloodline's going to turn on Sammy, when in the end, it was Sammy not turning on them willy-nilly for no reason, but he was the one that threw the shot. It was the chair shot heard around the world, Sammy made that decision. It wasn't the bloodline making that decision. 
to be fair, and to put myself over, I kind of predicted this on the preview. I said it's going to be a post-match beatdown, and Roman's going to have Sammy have to hit Kevin Owens with a chair. Although I, I said Sammy does wouldn't do it and, and he, Roman would hit and him then, or something. And then he right. no, no, and then he'd be in the same situation at Elimination Chamber, and then he would hit Roman. They just it all happened in one show instead. Gotcha. But gotcha. but but because what that was a test. I kept thinking, what is the test? And the test was gonna be you have to take this shot on Kevin Owens, and how is he gonna handle that? And that's what ended up happening. Just man, I just I didn't know if it was gonna happen. Like your 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 wrestling brain thinks, oh, oh, he's gonna hit him in the back because that's that's how it goes. But as it it it, it went on for so long, and Sammy was so good at not being a hundred percent sure in anything he was doing. There have been so many times in the storyline we thought this is the moment that they're gonna kick Sammy Zayn out, or this is the moment that Sammy's gonna do something. And it didn't happen. And so I was like, this could go either way. I don't know what's gonna happen. So then when he hit Roman. I yelled, I popped huge in my living room and just like, there it is. It happened 10 months later. You know, we finally got this moment and they absolutely delivered on it. And I want to clarify earlier, when I said they landed the plane, technically they haven't yet. It's really the landing gear deployed properly and they're, you know, making their descent, right? They're about to touch down because really landing the plane is how does it actually end? What happens at Elimination Chamber? What happens this Friday on SmackDown? What happens at WrestleMania, how does the story actually end? But in terms of the turn and the split, the implosion of the bloodline, they definitely landed that plane and deserve a lot of credit. And Chris, I so badly right now want to go through all the WrestleMania machinations with you tonight, but we have an entire show here left to do. So here's my thought. Let's keep the rest of this show to the Royal Rumble and we will go deep on WrestleMania, we'll book the damn territory. We'll talk about what looks to be in store going forward this Tuesday on the 400th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Does that work for you? Yes, I'm, I'm getting over XXXX. <laughs> well, X, that would be no, four. How, how many? That'd be four. What's, what's, uh, what's the Roman, Roman numeral for 100? Is it L? It's at, no, uh, it's no, L's 50, M? right? L's 50. It might be M. I don't know. We're doing no, a that might job, be a thousand. We'll figure it out. All I know is it's not four X's. That would be 40. But um, you figure that out. Let us keep going here with the Royal Rumble instant analysis by moving into the men's Royal Rumble. On SmackDown, Austin Theory came out doing John Cena's The Champ is Here again. New Day and The Miz interrupted in succession, all talking about the Royal Rumble. Miz completely botched his line and laughed at himself. The heels attacked the faces. Bobby Lashley made the save. Then he beat up New Day anyway. Lashley promised to terrorize everyone in the Rumble when suddenly Brock Lesnar jumped out of the crowd. He F5'd his ass, entering the Rumble and setting up the expected double elimination that I've been talking about for weeks. It was actually an atypical Rumble segment in that the ring didn't fill with 20 people. But I got to tell you, Chris, after like six weeks now of talking about how I hated that they ruined the Cody Rhodes surprise by pre-announcing him for the Royal Rumble, even though I knew Lesnar was going to be in the match, I hated that they ruined the Lesnar surprise as well. The Roman numeral for 400 is CD. Didn't So that's what, 500 that and 100? Or 100 and 500? It's, yeah. it's, it's what's one. Yeah, so CD. That'll be on, on Tuesday. Yeah, I was like, wait, why are we giving away Brock Lesnar now? <laughs> why? Just for, a, just for a, for a SmackDown go home? Like, God, guys, come on. We don't need to do this. 
Uh. So let's get to the men's Royal Rumble. We started this match with, well, We had two big meaty men, Gunther and Sheamus. It was a tremendous decision, totally unexpected for them to start. Johnny Gargano entered at five. He hit one final beat before giving Miz to Sheamus for 10 beats. New Day squared off at one point, but ended up just clowning around. Drew McIntyre entered at 10 and eliminated Karrion Cross. Kofi Kingston saved himself, rolling onto Xavier Woods' back over the ropes, only for Gunther to eliminate Woods and then throw Kingston into a desk chair with one of his legs not touching the floor. At least that's what commentary said. I'm pretty sure Kofi was supposed to land seated in the chair and re-enter the match, but he basically just fell on the floor. It was a nasty spot, and he never returned. Brock Lesnar entered at 12. Business picked up there. Lesnar went wild with suplexes, and then he belly-to-bellied Santos Escobar clean over the ropes in one of the most insane Rumble eliminations I've ever seen. He stared down Gunther. That got a huge pop as Bobby Lashley entered immediately after him at 13 and immediately speared him. He escaped an F5, speared everyone else in the ring, and then just straight up eliminated Lesnar, who got really pissed. He threw the top of the announce table into the ring. He literally picked up the steel steps and slammed them into the announce table. Then he murdered Baron Corbin, who entered next at 14 with an F5 outside. He also killed a referee, like clotheslined him over the barricade. He just went nuts. This was a great moment for Lashley going over Lesnar as they continued building that feud. Seth Rollins entered at 15. He hysterically helped Corbin into the ring, stomped him, and then just threw him right out. Rey Mysterio was 17. He did not enter as Rollins eliminated Lashley clean. Dominic entered at 18, wearing and then ripping apart his dad's mask. Elias at 19 broke his guitar on Gunther and ate a double Claymore from McIntyre and Sheamus. Booker T was the first of three surprise entrants at 21. He was looking good and hit his signature moves plus a spinner Rooney. The guy's 57 years old, still doing a spinneroonie. Gunther eliminated him right after that. Edge returned at 24 for the third year in a row. The fact that he returned at the Rumble is what I'm saying. Uh, He eliminated Priest and Balor, only for them to help Dominic Mysterio eliminate Edge. Edge continued fighting Judgment Day all the way up the ramp until Rhea Ripley took him out. Suddenly, Beth Phoenix appeared behind her with a spear on the stage. Omos and Braun Strowman were 26 and 27 with Braun squaring off with him and quickly getting the elimination. Gunther used Drew's body to eliminate Sheamus, then threw McIntyre over. Logan Paul was the third surprise at 29. He hit Ricochet with a buckshot lariat. Braun hit him with a running power slam with Ricochet adding a standing shooting star press. Cody Rhodes was saved for number 30, as WWE has done so many times before. He ate a monster bomb from Strowman. Gunther hit Braun with Last Symphony. Ricochet hit Gunther with a standing sliced bread. Ricochet and Logan then stood across the ring from each other on the ring apron and did stereo springboard dives, I guess, into each other for a midair collision that is one of the most ridiculous spots I've ever seen in a wrestling match. The final five were Cody, Theory, Gunther, Rollins, and Logan. Rollins stomped Theory for a Cody elimination. They both hit pedigrees, Rollins and Cody. It was interesting to see Cody do that on Gunther, and they battled one-on-one. Logan stopped the pedigree by pulling Rollins off roads for an elimination. So Logan Paul eliminated Seth Rollins. Clearly, that's going to be a WrestleMania match. Cody caught a Logan punch, countering into crossroads for an elimination, leaving Cody and Gunther as the final two. Gunther chopped the hell out of his pectoral, 
He wound up on the ring apron where he stopped the disaster kick with a punch. He put Rhodes' body on the top turnbuckle, tossed him down, and tried kicking him outside. Cody then ate a top rope superplex and kind of like hulked up, hitting a Cody cutter as fans started chanting for him. Rhodes caught Gunther with a dragon screw through the ropes and rang his bells like his brother Dustin. Amazing call by Corey Graves. Cody may have just shattered Gunther's WrestleMania dreams. Uh, Gunther came back with a shotgun dropkick, powerbomb, and sleeper hold over the top rope. But Cody nearly dragged him over the ropes for an elimination. Gunther chopped him flying at him. But Cody countered Last Symphony directly into Crossroads and eliminated Gunther to advance to the main event of WrestleMania, presumably against Roman Reigns. We got real pyro in the Alamo Dome and then fake CGI (laughs) pyro outside the stadium, which was just horrific. I said it two months ago, Chris. I said it every week leading into the Rumble, and I said it when it became official. I'll say it again right now. It remains completely absurd that they spoiled Cody's return. And that became even more inarguable given the lack of surprise entrance in this match. They announced 27 of 30 before Royal Rumble began, but neither of the three surprises, Booker T, Edge, nor Logan Paul, were notable enough to give away Cody and Lesnar. If you're not going to have something shocking like The Rock, The Great Muda, or even Big E or Randy Orton, whoever, then you do enough surprise returns of which Cody and Lesnar count in that to make up for it. And really, the lack of surprises was one of only two down parts in the entire match. The other was only having 29 entrants because Rey Mysterio never showed up and no one replaced him because he never went through the curtain. That's actually a rule in kayfabe. Once Dom entered after him, Ray was disqualified without a potential replacement. It's only when there's an attack on the ramp that a replacement can potentially happen as they did with Becky Lynch a couple years ago. I digress. The Rumble was booked extremely... That was different because he (laughs) was in the match. Whereas in this case, Ray was never in the match because he never stepped through the curtain. So that's why he basically didn't count. But they never put a 30th member. So it was a 29-person Royal Rumble. Regardless, getting back to it, the Rumble was booked extremely well. It was exciting from bell to bell, paced quickly to the point you almost felt you couldn't catch your breath at times. I think there were two minutes between entry, but the ramp was so long that by the time they got to the ring, it only it felt like they were there for 45 seconds before the next person was coming out. There were three or four memorable spots, multiple storylines advanced and developed, such as Lesnar, Lashley, Edge, Beth, and, and Judgment Day. Rollins and Logan. There were the final five that we got were all appropriate. And perhaps best of all, we got a mini match between Cody and Gunther, which made Rhodes win feel more legitimate, especially because he entered at 30, which is usually an eye roll to me because it's been done so many times. It would have worked if it was a surprise, but instead we were just waiting for him to show up. But because they did the mini match, it was booked better than him just entering and winning. He had to earn it against the Iron Man, Gunther, in the entire thing. Cody is the winner is something we can discuss much more as we move forward. We've talked about him versus Roman so many times on the podcast. It's not worth going deep into now with two months remaining. He was the expected winner. Based on who was in the match, he was the right winner. And he was booked extremely well despite entering at number 30. It was a very good rumble overall. It was not in the conversation for all timer for no, me. No, not at all. Which I saw some people saying it, it, it was not. But 
it was paced incredibly well. It told a good amount of mini stories throughout. And ultimately, you had a one versus one finish that felt like it was earned. You need that final elimination, that win to feel like it was earned. And it was. Those are the those are the things that you need. I spent this week watching a bunch of old rumbles, and you can tell very quickly between the ones that are really good and the ones that are really not. And it's the ones that have a lot of nothing going on for a good period of time. That didn't really happen here, um, which was good. It was really noticeable because you got down to like 27, 28, and you're like, man, we don't even have Cody in this yet. And he's like going to be like the main story of the Rumble. There's still like a lot to go in this match. which is And there the were already a ton of stars in the match, despite yeah, him not and, being there. And, yes. My biggest issue was, like we said, only getting three surprises, none of them being like amazing or anything. But we did get some great memorable spots, the Logan Paul stuff. Um, one of my pet peeves with the way WWE books rumbles is, is they'll put people face to face teasing a little something. Mm-hmm. And then we never go back to it. Like it will, we'll see, but like Brock versus Gunther, I don't know <laughs> if we're going to get that match ever. So it's like, could you give me like 10 seconds, 10 seconds of them wailing on each other before things change? I was like, ah, cause Gunther like smiling when him and Brock are facing off. Like that was cool, man. Like I want to see that. I'll tell you this. We're probably not gonna, we're probably not going to see a match. Give me just a little bit of whacking each other. I'll tell you this. I wouldn't be surprised if Lesnar ever retires or they stop using him or whatever. If Gunther's the guy to put him on his back on the way out. Could be. Could be. They save um, it for that. Also, uh, I don't think you mentioned this in your uh, breakdown. Michael Cole called Dominic a piece of shit. <laughs> He did. And Corey was supposed to like interrupt him, but he didn't interrupt him quick enough. He straight up called him a piece of shit. It was great. That was was something. The Dominic Ray. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say that segued into what my next take was, which was that I know you didn't love commentary on the entire show in this match. I don't think it can be denied. Commentary was exceptional. It was. It was all. It was very good in the men's rumble. It was very poor in the women's rumble, which we'll get to. But the, the Dominic Ray thing, I'm so confused because like, we're we're gonna get to Dominic Ray at some point for sure. Yeah, WrestleMania. But to not, to not even show Dominic beating him up backstage or something like that to like to just straight up not get him and then just have Dominic show up with a mask on. I was like. Ugh. I don't know. Like you could have given us, I, I think we would have gotten some more heat for that than just straight up not seeing Ray, because then we had the question throughout the rest of the thing was, is Ray going to come out? Is there going to be a 31? What exactly is the, the situation here? They never really clarified that. I think a lot of people. I, so the only life. explanation I can give is normally, you know, we would get like a camera running up to them and saying, and, and showing the crowd. Oh my God, this guy got his ass kicked. He didn't have his mask. So, the only kayfabe explanation I can give is because he got the shit kicked out of him, didn't have his mask, they didn't show him. The other thing yeah, is he, it might have happened yeah. in the locker room or not in Gorilla or something like that. But I agree with you. In reality, they should have showed Ray in a fetal position, bleeding, yeah. having gotten his ass kicked before Dominic came out or right after Dominic came out. Yeah, and, 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 and have... I, I don't think this happened. And have Cole say, hey, we've been told... Ray won't compete 
there won't be a replacement. Like, just tell We've us. been told Rey Mysterio is on his way to a local medical facility. There will not be a replacement for him in his, in his match. His spot yeah. is now disqualified. Because it just, it just kind of lingered yeah. there for a while. So that kind of bothered me. Um, I agree. Notes, I think there was a, a large part yeah. of the match where we were waiting for Ray to come out. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think that's fine. Um, now, I mentioned commentary yeah, being ahead. exceptional. Uh, Cole spent a lot of time after the bell shouting out Gunther, which was well-deserved. Gunther mm-hmm. set the Royal Rumble record for most time in the ring in a traditional match, topping Rey Mysterio 71 minutes. He also had the most eliminations. So this was a huge featured spot for him. Cody won. The MVP huge. of the match easily was Gunther. He was the first entrant and the final boss. Cole also pointed out that this was the first time the final two were number one and number 30, which was interesting. And I talked about him being great. He had a great line for Cody. The American nightmare is one step closer to the American dream. But even beyond him, Graves had some great moments. McAfee was entertaining as hell. I really liked just what they did on commentary during this match. Yeah, a couple other quick things. Didn't love like Judgment Day basically looking scared of Edge when they have a three-on-one advantage and Edge eliminating two of them. And I was kind of like, they shouldn't be scared of Edge. Like like they should be, that kind of just annoyed me. Um, Logan Paul's uh, uh, coming out, his surprise did not get much reaction at all. all. But he over-delivered in the ring as he has every single time he's been in the ring and he was healing it up which is what he should be and not a face. Mm-hmm. So that bodes well for the future and furthers my belief again that he is going to be a WWE world champion someday. You can feel about that however you want to, but I do think that's going to uh, to happen. And yeah, this had to be when, the longest, when the belts are split. Yeah. When the belts are split, there will be yes, some point where he wins one of them. Yeah. Yes. This had to be the longest one-on-one finish ever to a rumble. I don't know if there's an exact number, but man, that thing went on for a while. And like you said, it felt like a straight-up match, and so that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, also, Cody wins, and uh, he did a little bullet club thing on the turnbuckle. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, I did. He did it was one of my uh, yeah. final notes that I was going to point out. He did the two sweet celebration. He also did the gun symbol, which I don't. I didn't know if that was for Arn Anderson because of the Glock deal, or if that was just for more Bullet Club stuff, but he did do that. Uh, a couple other notes. Uh, Dolph Ziggler saw his 13-year Royal Rumble streak end, which was really interesting. He's been in every Rumble dating back to 2009. There was not a single Sammy chant during the match. There were also no boos during the match for any particular entrance. Um, yeah. And also Seth Rollins' ring gear, I want to point out, uh, represented the 1996 NBA All-Star Game uniforms, which was also, that game was in San Antonio. And lastly, I forgot to grade the match. Uh, I went 4.25 stars and an A. Thought it was an excellent rumble. Eons better than 2021. Nowhere near the level of 2020, which I believe I gave an A plus 4.75, I think, two years ago. So look, this year there just were not enough surprises for it to be higher, but it was well-paced. The order of entry was very smart. I wish a couple of them weren't directly back to back. Like you don't have to do Lashley Lesnar right after each other. You can put like one or two people between them. And they did that numerous times during this match where they were right back to back. So I wish, you know, Triple H just loosened that up a little bit, make it feel a little bit more organic. This rumble really felt like it was 
all the entry points were very purposeful the way they were done. And it shouldn't feel that way when you're watching it. But in addition to be being very good and well booked, this was also probably, I got to say, the meatiest Royal Rumble of all yeah. time. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, Gunther, Braun Strowman, Omos, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Sheamus, Otis, Drew McIntyre. And I'm sure there's people I'm missing, but that's like a third of the match. I mean, that's that's wild. Or tenth of the, uh, f- uh, fifth of the match, whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just there was a lot of beef out there, uh, without a doubt. And yeah, I just I like the rumble because because you get people face to face that you don't normally get. You don't always get. It's fun to see Brock Lesnar and Gunther facing off. It's, it's fun to see some of these other things. Uh, so look, the the rumble we said on the preview, it's it is the most anticipated event of the year. It probably most years does not live up to the hype we have in our mind. We thought, hey, a couple days before the match, Stone Cold Steve Austin's odds went from like plus ten thousand to plus five. <laughs> I never believed that. I never believed that for a second. And, and, and you know, there's the Rock question, the John Cena. I'll go, man. All these things have happened. In the end, we only get three surprises, and they're mostly minor. So that's that's partly our fault. It's partly their fault for announcing like a third of the field during the kickoff show. Uh, yeah. So that was just the only little thing. But still, a very very good Rumble. Very much fixed the issues of last year, and the winner we all expected. And what does Cody mean? I don't know. We'll get into that more next week. But I'll just say that all the Sammy Cody stuff, whatever it is, I trust them to get it right because they've gotten everything right so far. I think that's a great point because I was going to say, look, we could talk right now about Roman and Cody. And the truth is, I'm just I'm not as excited for that as I am for the bloodline, Roman, Sammy, K.O., Jay, however this entire thing goes down. We will go in depth on all of that, what we think is going to happen at Elimination Chamber, what we think is going to happen at WrestleMania on our 400th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast this coming Tuesday. It's our normal WWE episode. We'll talk Royal Rumble fallout from Raw on Monday night. We'll go over WrestleMania and Elimination Chamber. We'll also talk, by the way, about the Royal Rumble press conference that went down after the premium live event went off the air. We're going to have a loaded 400th episode. I wish we could spend the time doing it right now. The show is already going long. We still have three more matches to discuss, plus our post-show grades. But I promise you, we will go in-depth on all of that on Tuesday's WWE show, and we will answer your DMs. We will read your comments and questions. All of that is happening on episode 400 of Getting Over this Tuesday. So do not miss that. Let's move to the Raw Women's Championship match. Bianca Belair against Alexa Bliss. Bliss showed a lot of aggression early. She dominated and stretched Belair backwards by her braid. Bianca went on a run, hitting all her signatures. Bliss escaped the KOD and hit her DDT for a near fall. Belair tried using her braid, but Bliss dodged it. She tried Sister Abigail, but Belair escaped and countered into the KOD. To get the win, and I think it was seven minutes after the bell, The Bliss graphics appeared on screen, showing a playground and her sitting in a pentagram. Uncle Howdy asked, do you feel in charge? As she looked scared on the canvas with a black light covering her. The crowd was dead for most of this match, and it gave a moderate response at the final bell. Look, it's really tough to blame them due to the placement on the card, the fact that the women's division has 
zero heat right now. And there wasn't any real expectation that she would win. On top of that, Belair has been completely cooled off based on her booking. It's not her fault. It's the way that she's been booked. Now, all of that said, the wrestling was solid. There was nothing wrong with it at all. If there wasn't a women's rumble, this being seven minutes would have been worthy of a rant on the show. But instead, I'll just say that it was disappointing. It was a decent rivalry ending in a title match at a major show. But you got to give a match like that 12 to 15 minutes. Seven minutes for this is just like, it's a throwaway. That's what you do on Raw, not for the only women's title match on a show. So that was really disappointing. And the time, the short period of time was a detriment to the match doing anything that would excite you. There just wasn't anything wrong with it for me to get really upset about. I went three stars and a B minus. If you're at 275 and a C plus, I accept that. But it's not any worse than that. It didn't disappoint me because I didn't have any expectations for it. You knew Bianca was going to win. You were just basically waiting to see was there going to be something spooky or not. And I think, honestly, my biggest takeaway from this is that right when the match ends, Pat McAfee says that he always knew this match was going to be a blowout. It was going to be like Georgia TCU. This match was never going to be close. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> thanks for wasting our thanks for wasting our time here. Um, so, yeah, which and we didn't even get that at the end. We just got some more spooky stuff on the video board and, and that was it. So, look, the match was fine. They did their best just given the spot and on this card, it just ended up not being much of anything. And and. As you said, the entire women's division lacks heat uh, because of the booking and, and the direction and not the fault of the performers. And so we got an expected result with no twist at the end. And on we go. For anyone who did not listen to the Ultimate Preview, if you're a first time listener on the sh- of the show, on that podcast this past Tuesday, what you and I basically said was WWE's women's division right now is ice cold and it's completely because of the booking, really the lack of booking, the lack of attention being given to the women. However, the Royal Rumble and the Raw after the Royal Rumble this coming Monday night is WWE's opportunity, Triple H's opportunity to turn that all on its head and really kick this into gear now that the road to WrestleMania has officially begun. I did not feel that happened in the Raw Women's Championship match, but spoiler alert, I did feel that happen in the Women's Royal Rumble. And that is what we're going to talk about next. So let's get to the match. Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan opened, rekindling their rivalry. Dana Brooke was third and shockingly had a kind of strong run when she came in, but she botched a move that I believe busted open Ripley's nose minutes into the match. Bailey was six and immediately ate Oblivion, but saved herself. NXT Women's Champion Roxanne Perez was eight. That made her one of the youngest entrants in any Royal Rumble all time. Damage control was all in the ring by 10. They got audible heat, eliminating Perez, which was great to hear. Also, Roxy was really impressive in the short time she was in the ring. Uh, Natalia made her return at 11. She was actually looking really good. Zoe Stark from NXT at 13 hit a seated springboard sent on on Ripley. Becky Lynch was 15 and immediately got beat three on one ringside. She got slammed into the barricade and thrown over the announce table. Liv jumped off Tegan Knox's back for a code breaker on Stark. Asuka returned at 17 to the single biggest pop of the entire match. Yes, a bigger pop than Becky Lynch. She had a remix Mm -hmm. theme, black gear, a Japanese lion mask, and clown face paint as Kana from her days in Japan. Piper Niven returned without the dewdrop name at 18 and went on a run right away. Thank 
the Lord Piper Niven is back. Becky hit the double inverted DDT on the tag champions. Chelsea Green returned to WWE at number 20 and immediately got eliminated by Ripley. She's been signed for months. I believe this elimination is going to play into her gimmick. You'll see more about that this week. Lynch eliminated Kai, then Sky, only to get eliminated by Bailey, with Morgan taking out Bailey all in quick succession. Zelina Vega entered and hit a code red on Ripley. She was dressed like some Street Fighter character, one of the new ones who I don't know, not the classic ones that were the greatest. Uh, she had some sequence with Zia Lee on the ring apron right out of the gate and eliminated Lee. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez at 22 had a great run. Michelle McCool was with her kids in the crowd when she entered at 25 and hit Vega with a Styles Clash. Super fun and a really different type of entrance than what we normally see. Indy Hartwell from NXT entered at 26. Hopefully that's a call up from her. Evans eliminated Vega, throwing her off the top rope while in a Cobra Clutch in a sick spot. Really nasty fall by Vega. She seemed to be okay. Nikki Cross ran into the ring full speed at 29. And number 30 comes around, Chris. And here I am. I got to tell you, I'm thinking it's Naomi, right? Because they've announced everyone else. Ronda Rousey's not in the match. It's not going to be Sasha Banks. Who else can it be? It's Naomi. And instead, it's Nia Jax, whose entrance was botched because they didn't do the countdown. They played her music before doing the countdown. It was completely apropos because it was Nia Jax and a botch and who the fuck wanted her back. She slowly hobbled down, got ganged up, but blew up all the women like a grenade in that classic spot. Jax was supposed to be body slammed by Ripley, but she didn't jump. So that was a botch. So then Ripley hit her with Riptide. That actually worked. And the women teamed up to eliminate her immediately. The Riptide was impressive. Rodriguez eliminated Niven to a nice reaction. She got Ripley in the Tahana Bomb, but Ripley pushed her over the ropes. And the final four were Ripley, Asuka, Cross, and Morgan, with Liv stopping Nikki's finisher on the ring apron for an elimination. Great final three, Ripley, Asuka, and Morgan. Ripley threw Liv into Asuka for a code breaker. All three wound up on the apron. Asuka tried to miss Ripley, but Rhea ducked, and she got Liv in the face instead, only to get kicked off the apron by Ripley. Morgan then caught Ripley with a code breaker, which I thought Ripley was done. I thought she was falling off the mat, the ropes, and yeah. Liv was about to win. But Ripley grabbed onto the top rope at the last second, dangled from it. Liv tried to rip in her hands, but Rhea pulled herself up and hit Liv with a hurricanrana off the apron to eliminate her and win the Women's Royal Rumble. There may not have been a lot of surprises in this match, but the fact that they were able to do an entire Rumble with notably few veterans and NXT women, that speaks to how the division has been rebuilt from a talent roster size standpoint under Triple H, and that deserves credit. The match did get slow in parts, but the crowd popped for a number of the women. Asuka had a great showing in her return. The finish, I thought, was exceptional. Executed perfectly with the right three women at the end and the way in which the last eliminations were booked, that was great as well. The fake out for Liv in the last moment was awesome. Really, my only down part of the entire match was Nia. I hoped it was like a one-off. They brought her back just so Rhea could hit Riptide and it would be a really big deal. But she has a new shirt, so I guess she's back. Oh, really? Like, seriously, why the fuck was she rehired? She's straight up awful. She looked terrible. 
Call me an anti-jaxer if you want. I am one. Anyway, it wasn't a notably great rumble, but the entire match was booked to build Ripley. She hit her finisher on Jax. She holds the record for longest ever in a women's Royal Rumble. She eliminated the most women in the match at seven. And now she is the second youngest winner of a Rumble ever, one year older than Brock Lesnar. If the goal was to get over Ripley, which clearly it was, they succeeded and it was super entertaining. This Rumble was, it, it, it was, to me, it was not great. The, the, the effort was there from the women. The booking was pretty good. The strength of the roster is there. Like you said, there's a, you don't need to bring a bunch of return people in to, to, to fill this out. So that all made sense. But like we just said, almost nobody in this division has any heat right now. The only ones who really got reactions were Asuka, Becky, and Bailey. And I was very surprised how early Becky and Bailey got eliminated. And when they did, there seemed to it seemed to really slow down for a while there. And even I think even McAfee or Cole said like halfway through, like this is the time when you have the lull in the match because you've been in it for 15 entrants so far. I was like, no, they're, they're, there's not they're basically saying there's a lull in the match. There should be a lull in the match, not, not in something like this. So that was that was weird. Commentary seemed to not know almost anything about the NXT women outside of Roxanne Perez. In, Indy Hartwell comes in and they're like, yeah, she likes weird dudes, I guess. And she's a former tag champ. Booker T may not even know who she is. I was like, what? I don't know if they didn't know who Indy Hartwell was or, or what, but a lot of just not really knowing many of the NXT people was kind of surprising and uh, let down there. The, the, Nia, the Nia Jax entrance, I don't think they've ever had that entrance botch before. It's like, unbelievable. It never happened. And it happened at number 30 for what was supposed to be a surprise. Just, that's not Nijax's fault, but man, that really just kind of summed the whole thing up. I don't, I don't mind seeing Naya necessarily if you just only use her in spots. No, I mind. The last, no, I the last time we saw her, she was still dangerous in the ring. Um, and that was a problem and that need needs to be fixed. And I don't know if it is, but Nia Jax and Raquel was not the face-off I wanted. I wanted Piper Nevins and Nia Jax to have a face-off. It, it, it's good to see Piper Nevins back as Piper Nevins and not Dewdrop. They commentary kept saying over and over and over, Piper Nevins, Piper Nevins. They really got that into your head. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it, it was, um, is it Nevin? Is it Nevins or Nevin? Niven. It's Nevin. Niven. Piper Niven. Okay. They said it so many times it apparently didn't get stuck in my head. That's fine. Uh, it was good. Well, effort. you don't really know her as that because you didn't really watch NXT or NXT UK. So it's new to you. So that's fine. Yeah. So overall, like good effort, but it was it was boring for a good amount of time. Yeah. Again, you know, I I, I kind of can't get past the Nia Jax thing. It's just like you don't have to bring back everyone that got released and Nia, I mean, she, yeah. you know, I'm, when I, when I'm talking about her appearance, I'm not talking about whether she's beautiful or not or whatever. She looked out of shape for Nia Jax. She was hobbling down there. She wasn't athletic. She already is someone who's prone to botches and things like that. It was just shocking 
to see her A, brought back, and then B, brought back full time, they don't need her in the division. They have Piper. They have Raquel. Mm -hmm. They have Rhea. They have Bianca Belair. They have large, strong women. And Nia isn't even strong. That's like the crazy part about the entire thing. So it's just, it's a mind-boggling decision. It's the best way I can put it. You know, people have said, oh, yeah, you know, Triple H bringing back all these people. He's made some really bad decisions. Hit Row is dead in the water. They're a low-card act. It doesn't matter. You can bring Michael back Cole was Crawford. Michael Cole was Michael Cole was shitting on Top Dollar, by the way, in this women's match when BFAP <laughs> came out. He talked oh, about really? Top Dollar not being able to get over the rope. And then when BFAP got eliminated, he said she lasted longer than than uh, Top Dollar would have. A lot of people were like, whoa, where's this Top Dollar hate coming from from Michael Cole? So that was just random. Point is, though, they're a, they're a low card act and you need some of yeah. those. Right. Yeah. And sure. Karrion Cross coming back. Yeah. He started in a big program. And now he's more in a mid-card situation. It still doesn't make him a bad uh, return, a bad hire, anything like that. This right here, Nia Jax, it is the first return hire, whatever you want to call it, that Triple H has made that I just completely top to bottom disagree with. It does not make a shred of sense to me why she is back. She did nothing in wrestling coming out of this because no one wanted her. I'm not trying to make this like a whole thing where I bash Nia Jax. I'm just saying... I was shocked when she came out at 30 and it wasn't just because I was expecting Naomi. I was expecting anyone that would get me excited. And it was literally the exact opposite. You could argue it was the one person that they brought out that could have pissed me off. They, they could have <laughs> brought out anyone. They could have brought out. I, I'm trying to think of anyone from NXT. Uh, JC Jane could have been number three. Brie, I'd like Brie to Bella. see what you're saying. Brie Bella, whoever. They could have brought almost anyone. Kelly Kelly. And I would have said, mm-hmm. oh, okay, kind of disappointed, but whatever. This actually angered me. Like, I, I like not kayfabe anger, like, like you know, heat. I, I was just like, what the hell are they doing? Why did they bring her back? It doesn't make any sense. So I don't want that to detract from the women. They did a really good job. It was a fun match, all things considered. Chelsea Green coming back. Asuka basically making her WWE debut as her old character, which was yeah. super exciting. She got a remix theme. The Piper Niven name change. Roxy and Zoe looking strong from NXT. Becky and Damage Control continuing their storyline. There was a lot to like about the match overall. I went 3.75 stars B+. I really loved the finish. There was really only one part I didn't like. Good finish. Good Something to note here. Three of the four starters in the Rumbles matches went to the end. Gunther, Liv, and Rhea all went from start to finish. Uh, They all went over an hour. Mm-hmm. So that's like, it, it's good for them, but also like, it's kind of a trope that they kind of went to the well too many times, I think. Uh, in this. So it's it the still, first time I still, it's I still, ever happened. The, fi- the finish for both, the finish for both was really good though. The finish for both matches was great. The, it was the first time it's ever happened with the women. I think it's the fourth time or third time ever that one and two have truly gone the distance and been the final two, uh, one to be eliminated Ed, it, and the winner. Ed, Edge and Randy Orton did it in twenty in in the Thunderdome, uh, mm-hmm. the Thunderdome Rumble a couple years ago too. Yeah, it, it's um it's happened less it's ha- a handful of times or less. So in the history of the Rumble, that's really it, it's a trope because it's a higher percentage than it should be. That should really never happen, like right. in reality. But in kayfabe, it's not that bad for it to happen. In the women's match was different, and I appreciated it. And again, let's not forget who came out in those final three. 
Ripley, who got put over as big as any woman has in a Women's Royal Rumble to date. Liv Morgan, who we like and we've been talking about, that she's been doing a great job with this new character since losing the championship. And she got massive rub. She she did the whole storyline about wanting to come out number one. She came out number two. It's basically the same thing. And she stayed all the way to the end. That means they really do see good stuff in her. And Asuka, she came out in the middle of the match. Again, got the best reaction out of any woman on the entire show. And she was there in the final three. And she only got eliminated by happenstance. So when you put all that together, that's a great final three. Nikki Cross was the fourth to last, though. She was 29, so not as big of a deal. But still, I just loved the way, I loved the women that they actually featured. Again, with the exception of just one person. So let's move, Chris, to the final match at the Royal Rumble, Bray Wyatt against LA Knight in a pitch black match. On SmackDown, Wyatt's cult leader theme hit with the crowd popping, but it turned out to be Knight. He was dressed as him with a mini lantern. Knight cut a standard heel promo when Wyatt appeared on his rocking chair in the dark on the ramp. Wyatt told Knight to make his jokes because he'd see exactly what he's been fearing at the Rumble. Uncle Howdy then appeared in a smoke-filled suite, orchestrating with his hand before going to commercial. It was a fine go-home segment, given how much they've already done. It upped the intensity a tad more than they already did on Raw, and I thought the mini lantern was tremendous. Did you have anything to say about this before we get to the match? Just that I thought LNA was pretty funny. Yeah, he was good on SmackDown. So the match. This was the second thing on the entire card, coming after the Men's Royal Rumble, which opened. Wyatt entered with dark eye makeup and all-black gear. The gimmick was indeed the lights being turned out, and there were black lights over the ring, as I thought there would be. When those turned on, the ropes, Knight's gear, and a Mountain Dew logo on the canvas were all glow-in-the-dark. Wyatt also had paint covering his body and his face. He had glowing contacts in his eyes, and the boards around the ring were also lit up with advertising. And there were some other elements, like there were glowing beads that were all over the announce table for really no reason whatsoever. As for the match, Wyatt set upstairs by the announce table, but Knight caught him with a leaping clothesline through it. Wyatt threw a toolbox in the ring and a callback, but he never used it. He stopped White from using a kendo stick, hit Sister Abigail, and got the win in a relatively short match. Chris, if you can look up the time, I actually don't know how long it was, but it seemed really short. Uh, After the bell, Wyatt put on some type of leather mask. I assume he took it from the toolbox. I don't know where it came from. Knight drilled Wyatt in the head with a kendo stick four times while running away from him, backing up into a setup area. Once there, Wyatt stopped Knight from using the kendo stick a fifth time by putting him in the mandible claw. The whole thing looked to be over, but suddenly Uncle Howdy appeared on a huge platform that hung over the area where they were standing. And he suddenly launched himself off that platform and theoretically into Knight, except he completely missed him, didn't come close to him. It put a huge hole in the stage and fire erupted around them. The Firefly Funhouse characters then appeared atop the platform, like where Uncle Howdy was initially, as Wyatt posed with the mask on as it ended. And it was not a fiend mask. It was just like a kind of a black leather mask. It was really tough to see. In terms of the aesthetic, the only real problem for me was the logo in the ring. It just seemed one step over the top too much and completely out of place given Wyatt's gimmick. Plus, there was enough branding everywhere else. Like they had a million logos around the ring. You didn't need one like right in the squared circle, which really took your eyes off of the wrestlers. Maybe the weird beads on the commentary table, you could say those are unnecessary too. But beyond that, 
look, the match was relative crap, right? The move into the table was good. The final moment was a little bit of a spectacle, but everything just happened. The only way I could justify this in my mind is that WWE did the deal basically to negate Wyatt's salary. In that context, you can maybe justify (laughs) it from a business standpoint, but that's not a legitimate way to discuss this because it was Wyatt's first match back months after his return, two years after he last wrestled. So from a booking standpoint, it just sucked in that context. I'm not going to completely rip it apart because it wasn't that bad. And I'm sure the IWC is going to go crazy exaggerating, talking about why it always sucking once he gets in the ring, the match is never paying off the character, whatever. He's fine. The gimmick's fine. There are certainly some duds involved in him previously. This was more annoying because it was the first match back. If he'd already had one or two matches, then you throw this in there. You say, okay, whatever. But it was largely an eye roll from bell to bell. It was completely sponsorship-based, very similar to the zombie lumberjack match. And it was just unfortunate that something that turned into a really good storyline that you and I were both enjoying, Chris, kind of ended with a huge womp womp. So I went 1.75 stars and a D plus. Again, I'm not angry about the entire thing, but given the gimmick, the name Pitch Black, and what we'd gotten over the last couple of weeks, it really fell below my expectations. Match was five minutes and five seconds. There you go. Wikipedia. I, my thoughts on this are so all over the place. For, for one, for one, I agree. Other than the Mountain Dew logo in the ring, I really liked the aesthetic. It mm-hmm. looked cool. It looked like Gotham City and Batman Forever in 1995. If you remember, Great it was that, like ne- yes. that neon gang and, and all that. Like, that's what I kept thinking of. Um, so, like, the concept was there. I, I, I got that. But this is Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt doing a Mountain Dew match. And it's been four months. We have no idea what any of this means. Bray Wyatt does an interview with Ryan Satin on the Fox thing and basically says he's not quite sure what all this means. And you never know with him if he's in kayfabe or not, but it didn't get a sense that he understands what's going on. And if he doesn't, how are we supposed to understand? So just this was just yet another like, oh, Bray Wyatt, lots of spooky mystery stuff. And it's building up into a fart of a finish. This happens time and time and time again. They can't Mm -hmm. figure out how to take this lore and and this story that he builds and turn it into pro wrestling. It just, it doesn't work. Well, let me ask you a question here again. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Remove the branding element of it. Okay. And Mm -hmm. keep everything in the ring with the same aesthetic. And it goes 15 minutes. What are your thoughts on it? It would be a lot better, but that's how I feel. Oh, but but the only reason we got this match was because of the sponsorship. It There was never a, I'm going right. to take you to a dark place and do this stuff and yada yada, overthrowing Mountain Dew on it. They just straight up said, we're going to do the Mountain Dew pitch black match. And then they never said what that meant. And that was it. So like they didn't build to that. Instead, we got nonsensical Bray Wyatt promos about whatever. Uh, and then threw this together. There was a way you could have done this. 
that would have made sense and you could have gotten into by doing exactly what I said. Just talk. Braze wants to take him to a new place and you'll, you're going to see it in the, in this. And then he's going to take him inside his mind. He's going to see what's yeah, really going like, on in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could do so. Like it was just like for all the effort that is supposedly put into Bray Wyatt's integral details of his story, there was an incredible lack of detail in this story. And the only interesting thing about it ever was L.A. Knight doing L.A. Knight things. I saw some people saying, oh, this is the end of L.A. Knight. Everybody comes out looking bad out, out of Bray Wyatt feuds, you know, so much for his push. I completely disagree. He carried this feud. He's very talented on the mic. He will be mm-hmm. able to talk his way out of this and into whatever the next thing is. I think L.A. Knight will be fine. I don't know what Bray Wyatt is here yet. Still, the Alexa Bliss thing didn't add anything either. Uncle Howdy is, I don't know. He's Sister Abigailing Bray. He's jumping off, doing a Shane McMahon spot. I just None of it makes sense, man. And he just it's just annoying to watch this stuff now. It's you're right. Like it very much the way we've been talking about the bloodline. It's like you're getting us there and you're building it and it's working. But can you land the plane? The problem with Bray Wyatt historically is they can't land the plane. They've never been able to. And some of that has been pure booking decisions by WWE, not giving him the championship at the right time when he was the cult leader, having him lose the championship at a certain time when he was the cult leader, giving him the title at all. When he was the fiend, when things were going perfectly fine before that happened. And now really telling this deep or trying to tell this really deep, involved storyline. There's a lot of psychological elements that they want us to read into. But then dragging it out over multiple months, so many weeks of purely wasted time. And then a number of other weeks where you're like, okay, now it's really picking up. I'm getting excited about it. But then when you have the culmination of his first mini storyline within this, it's just a huge thud because what are you trying to do? You're trying to jam this sponsorship into the entire thing. And the one character right now in WWE, the two characters right now in WWE, where it feels notably unnatural to put a sponsorship on their matches are (laughs) Roman Reigns, the champion, and Bray Wyatt. They could have literally done it with any other match. In fact, Chris, If they had done this for Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss because the dark has overcome her and she wants Belair in a pitch black match, I don't think we would have thought twice about the entire thing because we would have said, hey, you know what? At least the Bray Wyatt part of this entire thing, which is the main part of it, is okay. Mm -hmm. But they didn't. They tried to force this all in. And Triple H, in that press conference after the Royal Rumble, he was praising WWE. He said they made the most sponsorship revenue they ever have. Double, I think he said from a Royal Rumble. Well, you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they had a Mountain Dew sponsorship for a match and they had whatever record label pay a shitload of money to throw that piece of crap Hardy on my screen. That's why they had the most sponsorship money. And guess what? Those were two of the worst things on the entire show. So sponsorships are fine. And we've seen it happen in WWE before when it's executed well. These were not, the Hardy thing, it's impossible to execute well. This was not executed well in a way that made it feel at least somewhat natural within the storyline it was being added to. And, you know, it's just, it's a failure and it's okay. You know, that stuff happens. It's going to downgrade my grade for the entire show. Um, I'm disappointed that this is how Bray Wyatt's first feud since returning, his first match 
in two years, the way it went down was in this. I think you and I had high hopes that it might actually be something really interesting. And I'll tell you, when the bell rang initially, I was like, you know what? They're going to come through on this. I had like my hopes actually got raised when the bell rang, with the exception of that logo in the ring. I was like, you know what? This looks really cool. If they just do a match around the ring and some glow in the dark shit, okay. I mean, I may not love it. It may not be for me, but I'm not going to trash it. But it just like progressively kind of got worse. And then the spot with Uncle Howdy at the end, him completely missing LA Knight. And then you look at that and saying, why did he even do it? Number one. And number two, I agree that LA Knight isn't killed by the entire thing. But he did just, in kayfabe, take that move. So are you writing him off now for a month? Like, there has to be some result of this entire thing for Knight. So I'm just confused, really, by it. Yeah, I I didn't care about Uncle Howdy missing LA Knight. It wasn't obvious. I'm just saying doing it at all. It's safer. It's fine. The, The only thing that worked about this feud was LA Knight being like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> like, that, like, that, <laughs> right. like that was the only thing that worked. And then eventually we got the shit and it, it was what it was. So yeah, it was a, a, a letdown. I don't know what you do with Bray Wyatt here. I I think yeah. LA Knight came out of this better than Bray Wyatt did, despite the way the match ended. We'll one, see. One thing I know for sure, this feud has to be over. You cannot go back to Bray Wyatt and LA Knight. No. No, which is weird because L.A. Knight, again, was the one carrying it and probably looked better for right. it. But it's time to get him away from it now. Yeah, just but end it. Let L.A. Knight go do something else. Let Bray Wyatt go back to his storytelling, you know, and maybe set up a new feud for WrestleMania. Hell, the feud may be Wyatt versus Howdy right, by the time we get to WrestleMania. But God, let them go I, their separate ways. Don't yeah. don't continue this and don't let us don't remind us of this match, basically. Is what yeah. By the way, my, my my brother bought a Mountain Dew Pitch Black. He said it was kind of grape flavored, but it was it was all right. Cody put it over in the uh, in the press conference. Obviously, he's not going to trash it. But right. funny yeah. if he did. Cody also said it was the first sugar that he's had at all in three months as he's been recovering uh, from his torn pectoral. As I noted, uh, we will talk, Chris, about the press conference that WWE did after the Royal Rumble on Tuesday's WWE episode. Did you have a singular thought coming out of it that you wanted to uh, mention or share before we get into the grades here? Um. No, no, no. Okay. We're good. So we will save that for Tuesday's show. Chris, let's wrap things up with our post-show grades for the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble. A reminder of what our pre-show expectation grades were. You were at a flat A. I was at an A- and our getting overheads. Voting on our Twitter account at getting overcast before the show ended up with a 4.11 out of 5. That translates to an A minus. So they were a little bit closer to me than they were to you. As always, when it comes to our post-show grades, Chris, we start with you. What is your final grade for WWE Royal Rumble? Man, I know we're coming. We're coming right off of talking about the stupid pitch black match. The worst part of the entire show. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, got to think back to, look, the way the, the the main event, the Roman, Sammy, Kevin Owens stuff, the whole post match, that is an A plus, absolutely an A plus. Mm-hmm. I think the men's rumble was a minus A type of stuff. The question is, do does the the Bray Wyatt Alexa Bliss matches and an eh, women's rumble does that bring it down to to what? I'm on the A A minus range. I said A coming in. I'm really like thinking a, because that ending was perfect. That ending was a moment. That ending is one of the biggest moments 
uh, in modern pro wrestling history, especially for this the era. The question you have to ask yourself we're is, talk about forever. the question you have to ask yourself is, does that supersede the rest of the show? That's not saying the rest of the show was bad, but does that, was that right. so great that it takes some of that negative and kind of erases it for you? Like when I come out of this show, I think about Cody winning. I think about the whole Roman thing. And Ripley. I think about the women's rumble. I don't even spend a second thinking about the pitch black match or the women's title match. Like they're not even just in my head. They're not in my head. It's like, oh, that was a drag. That was a look. It was a five minute match and a seven minute match. It didn't take up that much time. So like it mm-hmm. didn't waste that much time. I'm going to I'm going to say a I'm going to say a because the end of the show was so perfect. And everything that had been built up for 10 months that it just it supersedes everything else. I can look past the bad stuff around it because it just goes in one ear out the other. I'm so focused on the biggest things that they did in this in this card and they nailed both of them. I agree with you to the point that the main event was so exceptional that it raised the tide and it pushed everything else went up along with it. But even doing that, I cannot get to a flat A for this show because I think the last show that we gave a flat A to was Clash at the Castle. And comparing that apples to apples, which we can do because they were both premium live events, both from WWE, uh, the the finish of Clash at the Castle was nowhere near as strong from a storyline standpoint as the finish to the Royal Rumble. But the matches on that show, top to bottom, were better than the matches that we got at the Royal Rumble. So I think I was probably hovering around a B, maybe bordering on a B plus for the rest of the show. The main event, though, was so spectacular that my final grade is an A minus. I'm sticking with where I was in the pre-show expectation grade because really that's what the show was. And you're right. When we think back on the 2023 Royal Rumble six months from now, what are we going to think? We're going to think about Cody Rhodes and Rhea Ripley winning the matches and everything that happened in the main event. And we won't even remember anything else that happened because it wasn't bad enough to say, oh my God, that was booked so terribly that it was insulting and you know dragged the entire show down. The Hardy thing, I probably won't even remember, hopefully five minutes from now. That, that was, back that was my the worst head. part of the show. It really was the worst part of the entire show. And again, the, the women's match and, and the, the pitch black match, it's just like, they were so disappointing, but they weren't horrible. And we've seen horrible booking in prior uh, pay-per-views and premium live events. So I'm at an A minus. I just cannot get to that A range because to me, it doesn't live up to what I expect in a premium live event to be, even though the main event was outstanding. And I got to say, Chris, the getting overheads, They agreed with me, not you, for the second time today. 60.8% were A, 36.9% B, 1.8% C somehow, and 0.5% D to F. That averages to a 4.07, so slightly lower than their pre-show expectation. 36% B? 37, yeah, 36.9%, yep. Wow, that's a lot higher than I would have guessed, especially coming right off of that main event. Well, I did forget to, t- <laughs> it did take me 15 minutes to tweet it, but yeah, pretty, yeah, but pretty much coming right off of it. 
But regardless, 4.07, that's an A minus. I mean, it averages out to right where we are and differing minds can agree whether you're at an A, an A minus, a B plus. It really doesn't matter. We're all in the same ballpark. The point is, it was a damn good show, Chris. And that main event, I promise you, as soon as this show gets published, okay, I know that there's the NFC and AFC championship games on Sunday and the Silver King's still recovering from COVID, all that type of stuff. But I promise you, I am watching that entire thing again before I go to sleep tonight. I'm watching it while I'm listening to Sold Out by Hardy play. I still like the song. <laughs> just a terrible performance live. <laughs> just awful. Okay, let's wrap up the show. And let's start doing that with a reminder of what is coming this week. On Tuesday, episode 400 of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will do Fallout from the Royal Rumble on Raw Monday night. We will book ahead to WrestleMania, book the damn territory for the granddaddy of them all and Elimination Chamber as well. We will talk about all of the implications of Cody Rhodes winning the Royal Rumble, what that means for WrestleMania, the moment with the bloodline imploding, Sami Zayn turning on Roman Reigns, getting the shit kicked out of him, obviously, Jey Uso walking out on his abuser. We're going to go through all of that in great detail on Tuesday's episode 400 of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, where we will also debut a new sound, thanks to all of your contributions, three quarters of the new equipment that we purchased are in and will be set up for that show. So excited to bring you episode 400 of Getting Over. It's going to be a loaded show, as you can tell. And then Thursday, of course, we'll have our next AEW and NXT episode where we will have the NXT Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview. So a huge week as we cross that barrier into 400 episodes and beyond, all coming up next week. But what you can do tonight as we get out of here is do us a little bit of a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is so you can leave those five-star ratings on those platforms on Apple, leave a five-star written review, tell everyone why you listen to the show, why you love it so much, and why they should subscribe. If you do, we will read that review right here on the podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and you get to vote in these polls that we mentioned on this show. You also get to listen to our live episodes on Twitter Spaces. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It has been a long night. We have episode 400 coming up next week. So excited for that. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining me. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.